Today's podcast is presented by Pago. Pago is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Pago. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. But apply today, become a member, and really be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And don't forget to tell your listeners to add Monster Legend Podcast in the How to Hear About Pago section of this application. Okay. So don't forget to mention me when you sign up, people. Monster Legend Podcast. In the dark of the night Comes a strange real life To guide you All alone twisted roads In your mind Darkish goals And the whispering changes Through a dark Untended spot Through you Telling tales Young and old I hope that you enjoy the show Welcome to Monster Legend Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner, and today with me is my girlfriend, Amanda. Hey, everyone. Hope you're having a nice weekend. You're really loud. Amanda. Well, I can't. Sorry. I'm talking normal. Talk, talk normal. I am. This is me talking normal. Okay. Uh... How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm fine, and you? I'm doing great. So what are we talking about today? Today is Monster Legends of Rhode Island. Do you know, have you ever been to Rhode Island? I've never been there. I, I've never been to Rhode Island. What? Actually. Have you seen her or nothing? No, I have not. Mm-mm. Not been to Rhode Island. I mean, I mean, how big is it? I mean, like, I, even seen a sign for it or nothing? Like, I don't think I've ever been to Rhode Island. Is it? Yeah, no. Nope. My place is New York and Florida. New York and Florida. Which has better food? Which has better food, New York or Florida? New York. New York? Yeah. Little Italy and the Bronx, best place ever. Many people would disagree with me, but me being the Italian, I like Little Italy. Yeah. It's the best place to go in Little Italy. Uh, it would be... Um, my mom will kill me. It's uh, Casadello, Mozzarella, and uh, Delillo. Fresh Mozzarella and pastry. <laughs> And it's a good pizza place, but I'm not sure the name of it. And if I butcher it, my mom will kill me. Well, she won't kill me, but. Uh, how far um, do you guys use like a U-Haul to move down to Florida? Uh, we had a driving company. A driving company? We packed, every, we packed everything and had someone drive it all the way to Florida. That's really nice. I have to pack everything up. Uh, we did pack everything up. I mean, like, not have to, like, haul everything in your cars. Yeah, well, we would not have fit everything in the car, so. You know, uh, Rhode Island measures only about 48 miles long and 37 miles wide. It is not. I think it's, like, 30-something miles to your house from here. Hmm. Yeah. From you to me, it's about 30. Well, I drive to work. It's 44 miles from here to Cookville. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the smallest of the U.S. states. It's a little tiny little island. (laughs) Probably peaceful. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, despite its road, small area, Rhode Island, known as the Ocean State, boasts over 400 miles of coastline. 
what area of Park Island is in Rhode Island? I don't think so. I think that's still in New York. Yeah. Uh, Rhode Island was founded by Roger Williams in 1636. That's not very long ago. In history-wise. That's a couple hundred years. That's like six people ago. Yeah. We were lived about like 80. That's 400 years ago. Yeah, it's like six people ago. People lived about 80. Yeah, I guess. I'm probably not because I think the uh, lifespan, like in the 1900, like early 1900, was like 30. I don't know because people had like really bad health back then. So like now with the virus? Uh, Roger Williams was banished from the Massachusetts colony for his advocacy of religious tolerance and the separation of church and state. During the colonial period, Newport was a major hub for shipping and trade. In the 19th century, Rhode Island was at the forefront of the Industrial Revolution and establishment of power-driven textile mills. Wow. So I was like, yeah, they like um, or late nineteenth century, like a bunch of Irish people came in, and worked in the factories, and they were pretty much slaves, because the yeah, well, there are known Irish slaves, especially yeah. when they had the gamble at the state of Hammond too. A lot of people tried to come over to the uh, America, the U.S. Yeah. Um, to get away from that famine and end up becoming slaves, I believe. Not 100% sure if you don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm not good at my history. Takes a while. Rhode Island hosted the first National Lawn Tennis Championship in 1899 and is home to the Tennis Hall of Fame. Famous Rhode Islanders include Nautilus Cormac McCarthy and Hoompa Laurie Reedy, actor James Woods, James Woods, television personality Meredith Vera, and Civil War USA Army officer Ambrose Burnside. James Woods. Do you know James know Woods? You know James Woods really likes MMs. Safety so literature. Oopies. Do you know who James Woods? Uh, Rhode Island became a state on May 29th, 1790. Capital is Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, wow. Yeah, a small area, like what? What I say suppose like 30, 37 by four, like 48 by 37 miles wide in area. As like a population of one million two thousand five hundred sixty-seven. Hey, what? More power to them. I it's, mean, it probably have a lot of people doing work on the coastal. It's a uh, fifteen hundred and forty-five square miles in area. It's a lot of people in one area. On top of each other. It sounds like Florida, where y'all live on postage stamps. No thanks. I'm good. It's known as the Ocean State, Little Rhodey, Plantation State, Small State, Land of Roger Williams, Southern Gateway of New England. Its uh, motto is hope. Uh, I can agree with that. He said you need hope in your life. That is the only thing you can hold on to. I'll hold on to you. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. Uh, so state trees, the red maple. Maples are pretty. Yes, they are. They get really big, though. I want a Japanese maple. What's your favorite tree? Japanese maple. I like weeping wells. Really. They're really expensive, though. 
the state flower is the violet. Yeah, not my favorite. State bird is the Rhode Island red. What does that look like? What does that look like? Can it up? So, Amanda, it's chicken, Val. <laughs> oh, that actually makes sense. It's probably a red uh, red chicken or a red rooster. Yeah. See? It's chicken. Yeah, red rooster. It's a rooster. Yeah, that's a chicken. It looks like a rooster, though. It's a rooster. Yeah. See, see the thing on top. Yes, I see. I worked on a farm. I know it's a rooster. You worked on a farm where? In New York, I volunteered there's, and worked on a farm. There's farms in New York. I thought it was just pavement everywhere. No, I lived in the suburbs. Suburbs. Yeah, we used to have right by my house. We used to have a cornfield. We used to be able to pick fresh corn almost every day until they built million dollar homes. But now I used to work on a farm and volunteer. And during the summer, I worked at a farmer's market on the farm. Some interesting facts of Rhode Island. Banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony for its radical views, Roger Williams purchased land from the Narragansett Indians and founded the first permanent white settlement in Providence in 1636. His firm belief in religious freedom. Tolerance and the separation between church and state. Governor Colony are the future states. Benedict Arnold, the first governor appointed under the Rhode Island Royal Charter in 1663, was the first grandfather of a notorious traitor in the Revolutionary War, also named Benedict Arnold. Oh, and I know that. On May 4th, 1776, that's only two months before the revolution war. Uh, Rhode Island became the first colony to renounce allegiance to King George III of England. In 1908, the General Assembly established May 4th as Rhode Island Independence Day. Hmm. Although enslaved workers were as an important part of the colony's economy, Rhode Island passed the first Gradual Emancipation Act after Quaker's wage a campaign to abolish slavery. Children who were born to enslaved people after March 1st, 1784, were to become free after a period of apprenticeship by existing slaves were not granted freedom as part of the legislation. Wow. That's a lot to take in. On September 2nd, no, on September 12th, 1953, John F. Kennedy and Jacqueline Bevere were married St. Mary's Church of Newport, Rhode Island's oldest Roman Catholic parish, who had been established on April 8, 1828. Wow, so John F.K. got married in Rhode Island. Hmm. Rhode Island is the only state that still celebrates the end of the World War II on Victor Victory Day, which is also known as VJ Day. The official state holiday is... Uh, Observed each year on the second Monday of August. Wow. Uh, before in the Articles of Confederation, Rhode Island refused to participate in creating the U.S. Constitution and was the last of the original 13 colonies, 13 states to ratify it. Wow. <laughs> so. Vampires. I love vampires. You love vampires? Yep. Who's your, who's your favorite vampire? Well, Gargoyle is the first original known, but if we're going fictional-wise, it'd probably be Interview the Vampire. What's that? What's that? Huge crush on him. Yep, huge crush. I will admit it. Okay. Classic jerk, though. It's a complete monster. Exactly. But people meet him that way. No, he's pretty much a jerk the whole time. He's like... 
know, his creator abandoned him and left him to fend for himself. So you kind of have to become an asshole to try to survive on your own. And yes, he did get help, but still. He was better in Queen of the Damned. Oh, I said... Except I'll end too much, I think. The books are better than the movies. But yeah. that's with any cinematic. Most of the time, the books are better. Like The Hunger Games and Harry Potter, the books are always better. Books aren't better. Books. I, can't aren't watch, better. I can't watch the book. There's words. I can't but, read. But that's why you create the images in your head. Yeah, I can't read. I can't read. I can't read. If you can't read, have someone read to you. I'm deaf. Then how are you doing this podcast? Uh, I have someone sign language. Can't say sign language. (laughs) You mean ASL? Yeah, American Sign Language, yeah. There you go. Tell me about Rhode Island vampires. Uh... Have you heard of Mercy Brown? No. The little boy hugged his mother. Men were breathing hard in the cold March air of the Rhode Island farming community. Digging through his nascent cemetery dirt, mists formed around their pissing flesh. Suddenly, a thud of a shovel on a coffin lid came from a dark hole. Crunch ensued as the heavy box lifted in the last red glint of sunset. The boy's pappy pried the lid loose to reveal the girl. Men nearly wrenched as a cadaverous grave odor from the pine box wafted through the twilight. The boy's uncle was a serious man, a no-nonsense farmer. Desperation had driven him to this point. Tears filled his eyes as he reached into the box, plied a steel knife, and ripped the heart of his 19-year-old daughter from her dead body. Over to the red-hot kettle, he staggered. His trembling, his trembling hand dropped the icy thing to the glowing iron pot. Millie, the sizzle emitted a blood spew of rancid steam. In a few minutes, the charred muscle became charcoal. The boy's poppy ground into dust. He added water to make a rusty nail-smelling tea. The astute farmer, the boy's uncle, spoke in his loud Baritone, as all listen, drink this. We must save ourselves from the devil's curse. To take a deep swig, he passed a cup around for the moaning men, gagging children and weeping women to drink. Yeah. So gross. Yeah. Thank you. You're violating a court. It's wrong. It is wrong. Probably not good for your health. No, you're drinking a person's circled heart. Disturbing on so many levels. But again, you're talking about, what, a couple hundred years ago? So, I mean, times are different. So our point of view is different. There, still, it's yeah. disturbing. Okay. So you think you know all about vampires? Did you know more than 150 years there lurked in the green valleys of New England? These revenants, ghost-like beings that came back from the dead were once living victims of consumption. The disease came upon them slowly at first. Shortness of breath grew steadily worse as infected bronchia swelled. There was no rest as something constantly attacked the body. Fewer Fever accompanied night sweats, appetite faded, pains in the shoulder blades from fatigue breathing, but like gnarled claws ripping to get inside. Filing the, the lungs filled with pustules of infection. Austin could not enter the blood, so arteries ran blue, made his skin pallid. Tissue necrosis ensued. Victims coughed up dead lung tissue occupied by dark blood. After weeks of wasting disease, 
Death came quickly, often at night when the damp air was worse. In the days before the Revolutionary War, several clans of families emigrated to America. Facing the challenges of a savage land, they chose to remain isolated from their neighbors. As diseases struck, their rustic believed they could do no more themselves, especially as they saw physicians at the turn of the 19th century who had no success at curing tuberculosis. They had brought their own acidic myths from their native island lands, coupling them with legends the Native Americans told. These folk tales told how the dead, lonely when they died, so cold on the ground that it came back at night to suck the heat and life out of the living family members. Ooh, speak. That's what vampires do, but I mean, it's interesting that they would only go after their family members. And it doesn't say that they would go after other humans. But then again, if they... Mm-hmm. Right. If they only know their norm, their bits of their memory, then it makes sense that they would go after people they know. These uh, dearly departed had no malice in their behavior. Yet the living had their rights also. The clan leaders assembled to decide how to remedy this. They see reason that the first who died started the chain reaction. So if the revenant stops, the curse would stop. Therefore, they must exhume that particular body and burn the heart. If they did nothing more would die of the disease until it did outnumber the living, thus killing the entire community. That's stupid. Kind of, because actually vampirism is a disease that we have. It's very, very rare, but it's, you're destroying a heart. It's not really going to stop the symptom. If they're already dead, you're just pulling out a dead organ. So, why the heart? Because the heart's what pumps the blood. So you destroy the source of what makes them human supposedly it can stop them you stake the heart which is the root of everything for a human or for a creature if you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer she always takes them the heart so they turn to death we turn to body forensics in order to understand this thanks goes, goes to both the prolific author Patricia Cornell Cornwell and the hit show CSI. When the body uh, deteriorates in the grave, the temperatures and conditions of the ground varies greatly, but in general, the fatty tissues succumb first, then the muscles. The heart's dense muscle often takes decades for bacteria to break down the organ. Extracted from the earth, even years later, the heart resides in place within the skeleton. Frequently, the organ still contains sour blood dark with iron-laden Hemoglobin. Hemoglobin? Yeah. Hemoglobin. Yeah. I don't know that. And I said forensic science. I don't know that. So. They did not teach you that. <laughs> the elders in the clan knew this. The durability of the heart made it the seat of the spirit in folklore legend. When they dug up, when they dug open the grave, they received a shock. After a burial in the cold New England soil, the body might look reasonably preserved for several months or longer. In special cases, the corpse might still have bloody froth about their lips. Certainly, they felt the dead had come from the ground in spirit form to feed on our remaining family members. Science, I got People are stupid about it. But you gotta realize they didn't have enough information to know what we do now. Okay. So, what we think is stupid to them, to, to us, might not be stupid to them at that time. They're paranoid. They thought something was destroying 
thousands, uh, hundreds of people, so they were doing whatever they can to stop it, or what they believed would stop it. This had to be the work of the devil. We turn now to the marvelous research of Michael E. Bell in his book, A Food for the Dead. A remarkable folklore researcher, this scientist combed the legend of New England. Through hard work over decades, including interviews with family descendants, they covered the immigrants to Western Rhode Island just before the Revolutionary War came up with this unique way to deal with tuberculosis. First documented cases Bell found came from the Tinlet Gas clan and their acquaintances. In the 1790s, Di Harris, Spalding, Stables, and Tinlet Gas families all participated in digging up graves and burning hearts. The practice continued sporadically for nearly 150 years. In all, Bell found at least 20 occurrences that he documented around Rhode Island, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, New York, Ontario, and Illinois. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know about New York, but I've heard Connecticut had cases of vampirism, and um, that was all I knew, because we weren't too far from Connecticut. But... I didn't know the other states also had that. As the clans married, they carried the practice with them whenever an outbreak of tuber- um, tuberculosis struck. As the turn of the 20th century, progressiveness was keen. Powerful men such as Bell, Carnegie, Rockefeller, Ford, and his close friend Edison forged ahead with electric motors, electric lights, telephones, and automobiles, and gas-powered engines. Others steered steel ships and built steel bridges over huge waterways, harnessed radio transmission, or utilized medical x-rays for radioactive elements. It was the era of science. In the midst of this, the 1892 Providence Journal, editors fumed over scandalous barbarism just outside their modern city. A group of rustic know-nothings had dug up a body and burned a heart in order to rid the community of tuberculosis. So this was 1900, around the 1900s? Well, they still didn't know how to treat tuberculosis like we do now. They did. We could just give out antibiotics and say, here, take this for a week and you should be better. They didn't have that back then. I mean, they barely had x-rays and MRIs and gut scans. I mean, we have more technology than they did back then. But it's kind of scary to see how far we've progressed in such a short amount of time. Uh, this last case of heart burning to stop tuberculosis vampirism is that of Marcy Brown. The Brown family lived in a farming community near Exeter, Rhode Island, during the last decades of the 19th century. The Brown family, situated between Exeter and North Kingstown, experienced several bouts of consumption. In 1883, the mother, Mary Eliza, died. Shortly after this, a daughter, Mary Olive, died. Then in 1891, the only son, Edwin, contracted the disease. Brown sent the man to Colorado, hoping to change in climate, on Rescue's heir. Later in 1891, daughter Mercy Lena caught galloping tuberculosis and died quickly. Traded with a decade of death, the, the community leaders gathered to suggest the old folk remedy handed down by clan elders. Brown with a gas. A peer pressure coupled with desperation caused him to call the attending community physician, Dr. Metcalf. Metcalf came to dissuade the leaders to forego this horrendous ceremony, but he arrived too late. He found Brown, surrounded by four men, who had taken three bodies from the family vault. Mrs. Brown's corpse had most of the muscle tissue remaining, but no blood remained in the heart. Mary Olive's corpse was but a skeleton with hair. Mercy Lena's cat Daver was but two months in the cold earth, and the man pulled out the heart and liver for examination. Heart was dripping with blood, a sure sign that Mercy was a vampire. 
They incinerated the organs to powder. Old Doc McCath seemed to quickly cover his culpability when he spoke to the reporter at the newspaper. No one could agree whether or not Edwin drank and ashes. Leaders insisted that he had. Editors and mayors exploded in anger throughout New England for such barbaric practices in their modern progressive society. The scandal apparently provoked rural authorities to ensure this never happened again. Newspaper pages yelled as the story faded into oblivion and rumors throughout Rhode Island. However, two great horror writers, Bram Stoker and H.P. Lovecraft, observed the incident in their writings. Stoker sat struggling in his study working on a complicated novel about a modern-day vampire. It was to be his homage to his hero, J.S. Lafonel. What could a man of science do if he encountered a medieval myth? How would late Victorian London react? Could science or faith succeed in such an encounter? From out of the blue, a New York Times reprint of the Providence Journal article crosses his desk. Inspired by the clipping, he created characters of Lucy Westenra, perhaps the name Pesley allowed to Western Rhode Island. Yet, it is H.P. Lovecraft, whom we must thank for most of for preserving the legends of Mercy Brown and his satirical weird tale, The Shunned House. Written between October 16th and 19, 1994, 1924, he uh, reflected the disgust that the modern elitist gentry of Island had on such a barbaric tradition. Lovecraft had been born in 1890 and lived in Providence most of his life. He knew well, relied heavily upon the folklorist Sydney writer for many of the details he used in the story. As Lovecraft's mercy, Dexter's character allowed, allows the plot to flow. He occasionally reveals, don't hire anyone from Nonstick Hill country. I see about uncomfortable superstitions. As late as 1892, an extra community assumed a dead body and ceremoniously burned its heart in order to prevent certain alleged visitations. Hello? Oh. What do you think about that? That's what I'm saying. That's kind of... I mean, everyone has their superstitions with the um, burning of the heart and different cities have that, but it's kind of weird that the legends are more pronounced in books, but you really don't hear about it, and you don't really get to know why it's based off of that. You kind of just assume someone just created it off the back of their head, like a lot of the novels I see today. So it's kind of interesting to learn more and more about it. I like their fires, and so it's interesting to learn more about why people burn like hearth versus taking the heart. Because you're mostly known for staking the heart, not going and burning it and making it into tea. What's your take on it? There's some, there's some quotes from the Shun House. I say alone for who, for one who sits by a sleeper is indeed alone, perhaps more alone than he can realize. Next one, uh, for one who sits by a sleeper, is double. Uh, Antine's son Paul, a surely fellow who erratic conduct, had probably evoked the riot which wiped out the family, was particularly a source of speculation. No promise never shared the witchcraft panics of her Puritan neighbors. Is really intimidated by old wives that his prayers were never uttered at the proper time nor directed toward the proper object. Where was Lovecraft coming this? He wrote about. Uh, he was from Iran. Okay. Uh, Dayness was uppermost. I can scarcely recall what was dream and what was reality. Then thought trickled back, and I knew that I had witnessed things more horrible than I had dreamed. Mm-hmm. It's good. 
So there we have it. Real vampires lurking in the imaginations of numerous rustic farmers and merchants for 150 years. Final progress coupled with embalming techniques eradicated the practice by 1892. Percy Brown was the last case, or was she? Christopher Coleman. Dun, dun, dun. Christopher Coleman's strange tales of the dark and bloody ground first set just before World War I in the hill country of Bradley County, Tennessee, where workers uncovered an old unmarked grave. The modified remains of a woman had a stake driven in its heart. As archaeologists or folklore scholars continue to look, perhaps other vampires will show up. Look around. Is there someone in your own community still waiting to stake a vampire? Dun, dun, dun. Crazy. It's insane how we have so much lore and no one really knows about it. It's such an interesting subject because there's so much out there like witchcraft and vampirism and the different monsters that you can come across. But everyone thinks it's trying to think of the word. Like demon not demonizing. Like it's such a hard topic to talk about. Like people try to stay off of it because they think they'll go to hell or something because they're talking about things like that. But it's such an interesting topic because if you don't learn about your past, how are you supposed to know your future? Yeah. Tell you. That was from underworldtales.com. That story. This is a one I got. It's called a closer goal from strange New England. Some might say that the Northwestern Rhode Island has been cured, cursed by someone, some dark force in the past. Has been the source of many foul tales of devilish specters and hideous brutes. Its forests appear darker and colder than others. On all sides are ancient trees with branches that writhe like tendrils over its froze. As the fog settles over the evening, you can't escape the feeling that stinging beast skulks within it. Though you might expect these sensations are born with the darkest corners of, of our imagination, there are five men. Who strongly disagree. For one late night in Gloucester, Rhode Island, they countered a feed like no other in the Gloucester Ghoul. Ooh, spooky. Spooky. Something you say over a campfire. Albert Hicks, last person to be executed for piracy in America, was born in Foster, Rhode Island in 1820. He had one ambition in life become rich by some bold stroke. He said that the only value his wealth would have was to gratify his passions with no restraint. His career as a pirate and criminal involved many monstrous deeds. In his confession, Hicks said that the devil whose work he was doing so industriously seemed to protect him while he pursued a career of blood and crime with impunity. He has stood by all my life. Amid the howling storms of the ocean, Hicks said, where every moment the waves threatened to engulf me, he has snatched me from the deadly embrace. On the battlefield, in many a hand-to-hand fight, he has seemed to stand by my side, protecting me from danger, and when I had been in the hands of my enemies and escaped, as appeared impossible, he has until now invariably opened a way for my release. Whoa. Interesting. The devil may have been on, be by his side while he was involved in a nefarious life. His, his first encounter with him or one of the hellhounds may have been back in Foster, Rhode Island. While living in Foster, he was fascinated by stories of pirates, robbers, and highwaymen. He was often riveted by tales his friends shared with him. One claimed that the pots of silver and gold had been buried in the neighborhood by Captain Kidd. Persona. Yeah, yep, Persona, definitely. Uh, but that's a true story. Yeah. Captain Kidd. Mm-hmm. Tell me about 
So it was, it was Captain Kidd. So who's that? I don't really remember everything about him, but I know he was a pirate. I just don't remember what he did. Captain Kidd. I'm so obsessed with Persona, you think I would do something like that, but I don't. Uh, I feel like a bad fan girl. Oh, William Kidd, also known as Captain William Kidd, or simply Captain Kidd, born 1655 to die on 1701. So it's been a long time for back then. Like, uh, my lifespan was longer back then than that is now. He was, a Scottish, he was a Scottish sailor who was tried in SK for piracy after returning from a voyage to the Indian Ocean. Some modern historians, for example, Sir Cornelius Neil Dalton, deemed his practical reputation unjust. There's a lot on him. There's a lot on him. There's a lot. <laughs> I'm gonna put a pin in that one. That's a, he has a lot. Oh well, yeah, he has a good arc. Where's that? Hexotham found himself dreaming about finding the stash that he was secreted somewhere nearby. You could feel the gold calling to him. In 1839, grown confident that kid is lying somewhere. Heard that some Spanish to Blooms had previously found on the farm, Hicks and three fellow Glycerites decided they would claim this horde under the cloak of night. That doesn't seem like a stupid idea. Uh, that's still, I guess, it's stealing. I guess they're pirates. I'll say that's stealing, son, but they're pirates. So, man with shovels and picks, Hicks and his hooligans set out to claim the treasure. Once on the farm, they began to dig fervorously for kids supposed buried gold. It was long before their effort was interrupted by a strange sound. They stopped their work and listened with caution. Had the adventure been discovered? As they looked up, emerging from the dark forest in front of them was an indelicate horror. Quickly, they dropped their tools and ran for their lives. Hicks described the beast as a large animal with staring eyes as big as pewter bowls. The eyes looked like balls of fire. When it breathed, as it went by, the flames came out of its mouth and nostrils, scorching the brush and its path. It was as big as, as a cow with dark wings on each side, like a bat's. It had spiral horns like a ram's, as big as around as a stovepipe. His feet were formed like a duck's and measured a foot and a half across. The body was covered with scales as big as clamshells, which made a rattling noise as the beast moved along. The scales flopped up and down. The thing had lights on. It sighed like those shining through a tin lantern. Before I saw it, I felt its presence, and I smelled something like it was burnt wool as it went by. I had a feeling of suffocation and it came near me. The monster seemed to come from nowhere and to go away in the same manner. Ooh. Okay. So, what do you think about that creature? See, I want to go at it at a scientific point of view, like some fish have voluminescent balls on like the top of their head to attract prey. But the way you described it does not follow that at all. So I'm kind of tweaked out. I don't like that. The size of a cow has bat wings, duck feet, glowing glowing eyes, big big glowing eyes, breeze fire, scaled, because it's Ooh. I'd rather believe in dragons than that. Because it just sounds so out there. After having seen that frightening beast, neither Hicks nor any of his fellow treasure hunters 
would ever return to Page Farm to claim the treasure. They were never sure exactly what it was they saw. It may have been some sort of hell-bound guardian, kids' ill-gotten goods, or one of the several creatures described in the local lore that lived in nearby swamps and deep forests. The beast wasn't seen again until 1896 by Gloucester resident Neil Hopkins. A story of this encounter was reported in January 15, 1896, edition of the Evening Hour. On the cold winter evening of January 13th, Neil was on his way home from work in Putnam, Connecticut. Though he had traveled this path alone many times before, this evening he had a troubled feeling. That's weird. Very. Ever had a feeling before? What, that something's watching me or something's following you? Or that something's off? Yeah. Yes. Quite a few times. When was the last time you felt that way? Probably when I was going home late at night and I felt like something was watching me while I was driving. While you were driving? Yeah. Something was following me while I was driving home, especially around like midnight. (laughs) But then again, it was my first time driving around midnight in Tennessee because I just it was, it was the first time working late at night at public. When Neil reached the darkest point on his route, he heard a sound from deep in the forest quickly moving towards him. Suddenly, as if from out of some gateway of hell, a supernatural creature came charging from the darkness and began to pursue him. Oh, shit. Not good. No, thank you. No, thank you. Exactly. Run for the hill. It seemed to be all a fire. It had a hot breath, Neil explained. There was a metallic sound like the clanging of steel against steel. The beast didn't seem to be strong in the wind, for it chased me only a short distance and plunged off into the woods. I could hear dead branches and twigs cracking under the heavy tramp. Neil said that the, whatever it was he saw, it was as large as an elephant, but had no tail. Those who had heard from this horrible encounter were not sure exactly what it, it could have been. Some believe it was a bear that had been seen recently in Webster, Massachusetts, and as far south as Glosher. Others thought it was the famous Glosher monster, the burning beast that Pyre Hicks had seen 57 years ago. These, there are those who believe that the beast still haunts the forest, not from the Providence Turnpike. If you happen to find yourself to be this beast's next unlucky victim, keep in mind that it has never been known to take a life. What we do know, though, is that during Pyrex Hicks' confession, he said, The devil took possession of me. Maybe what the devil's creature is out to do is consume your soul. So there's no real name for this monster. The Glosher Ghoul, as we call it. Shouldn't I have had a better name? I, people aren't very creative. No, but then again, it's the late 1800s, so. I would not want to come across something like that. Especially if it breathes fire. I'll get the hell out of there. Sure. So what else, what other kind of monsters does Rhode Island have? Uh, let's see. Pretty small area. Well, yeah, it's only, what, 4,000 square feet? Or whatever you said. I'm not good with numbers, but yeah, no, it's like really small. Oh, da, da. What's on your head? 
New England, what are you going up New England for? Uh, that's pretty much it. It's like Bigfoot. Bigfoot is everywhere, so you can't really say that's a Rhode Island thing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Rhode Island. There's been five sightings in Rhode Island. Bigfoot. Class A. Ooh, that's high. Uh, in 1998, in the fall, on, on October 15th, from Route 102 North or South, take Spring Lake Road. Follow there are multiple points of entry to Nozerve and draw a parking lot at the end of Spring Lake Road. It's in Glendale, Rhode Island. Uh, the exact date was October 15th, 1998. This was uh, 22 years ago. I was training for a mountain bike race, and this was to be my last race prior to the race. I was riding at the Black Hut Management Area in Glendale, Rhode Island. Along for the ride was my three-year-old mixed-breed shepherd lab large dog. It was sunny but cool, and I planned to spend an hour or so breaking a sweat. As I moved my way through the trail, I had to leash my dog to cross the street. I tried to unhook him, but he started up a hill towards a chasm. It's small, and kids hang around there and drink beer, have fires, etc. At the crest of the hill, I could see the top of the chasm, approximately 50 yards away. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something that first apparently appeared to be a dirty white blanket, perhaps unhung on a small tree. Suddenly, I think it hurt us, turned as if it was squatting with its back to me, saw me, stood up, and disappeared into the woods. I was shocked and could not believe what I just saw. From my vantage point, I could say the animal was white or gray, but very dirty. And no way did it resemble a man. I did not see the face clearly, but from what I did see, um, see, uh, although it stood barely erect, its gait and posture was like an ape. The arms were not long, like a gorilla. In oddity, it was nowhere near seven feet tall. Estimate maybe six feet at best. I reserved my direction and rode immediately to the top of Chasm. I looked for footprints and hair, but didn't find any. I walked a short distance in the woods in the direction where it disappeared. Part was pounding so loud I can hear it. I knew it was nowhere in the general area because my dog was not barking. At the time, there's an animal near fox, Cody, deer, or dog barks, and I will usually chase. And will usually chase. The certain point is that my dog never barked. I don't think he saw, heard, or smelled it. I noticed no unusual smell in the area. I also noticed no signs of broken branches and no way to determine its direction. I told one or two people in November of 1990, 1998, a friend and I, with video and digital camera, spent two weekends hiking the area, directly behind a chasm with no results. I also snowshoed the area at the first snow. I started to believe I had imagined it. In 2002, I met a hunter in a bar and asked him if he ever hunted at Black Hut. He said, yes. And once I saw a white gorilla there, I had chills and relaxed my, related my story. The differences were in color. He said it white. The one I saw was more gray. And he said that one he saw was eight feet tall. Still, same place, same type of sighting. But many write this as two other Rhode Island signs seem to be similar. I wish I could have seen it longer and closer. That's not something I would want to run into. Oh, he's friendly. There are some things you just leave alone. Leave it alone. Oh, he's friendly. Look, hey, buddy. Hey, Amanda. Yeah, and then he tears your head off for disturbing him. I'm good. Yeah. There's just some creatures you just leave alone. 
Like, yes, I know you. everyone wants to find evidence on them and say, hey, look, I found more evidence on Bigfoot. But it's like, don't put things in tape. Leave things alone. I like to find a body. A Bigfoot body. Yeah, that's different. It's already deceased. It's not a living thing where you cage it. It's for your own enjoyment to find things out and do research. It's a little different. Well, I agree with you. Oh, uh, anything announced to anybody? To the listeners? Nope. Nothing, nothing, nothing we're working on? We are working on something, but it's not ready yet. It's not ready um, yet? No, it's not. But we are working to do a new type of podcast on mythology and all the mythological creatures that are in this world. Yes. Yep. And it's going to be called Mythological Race. It's on the gods. Uh, first, we're going to start off with either Mink or Chaos, um, which is a primordial god. And they are the gods before the gods. So we're going to try to go in order um, to do the primordial gods and the Titans and the Olympians and so forth. And we'll try to trust on the Fae, the Fairy, the Centaurs, and all kinds of races that wow. kind of don't know now. So, Rhode Island, over here, just to finish up the hour. I know, I can't believe it's been an hour already. Time flies when you have fun. Yeah. Especially with you. Yes. That's around the corner. <laughs> Short island. A uh, 15-month-old girl fairly mauled by family dog in Rhode Island. That's sad. Well, did you hear about the new mall? Uh, well, a dog went to attack this little girl, but her brother stepped in and um, saved her and himself from the dog. And he ended up with over 90 stitches in his face. It's the brother. Yep. And like, like Captain America. Um, they didn't kill a dog. They did not kill a dog. I don't know what they did with the dog. But um, his sister didn't get hurt, but he did. His whole side of his mouth is full of stitches. But he is a hero. He saved his little sister. And he was like only eight years old or even younger. Oh. But I don't remember where it was, but it's been recent. We can change wood. It's Lovecraft, Meredith Ferreira. Oh, Meredith Ferreira. She's from the Today Show. Uh, famous American football cornerback Will Blackmon was born and raised in Promise, Rhode Island. Plays for the Washington Redskins. Interesting. Not a big uh, sport fan, but. I'm going to start for James Woods. Deborah Messi. I don't know who that is. Uh, Deborah Messing is from Rhode Island. She's um, Grace from Will and Grace. Uh, I love Will and Grace. That was a good show. Reboot wasn't as funny, though. Yeah, I think it's a... Yeah. I didn't watch it much. I reboot. Uh, Wendy Carlos is from Rhode Island. Uh, 
to to um direct the scores to Stanley Kubrick's films Clockwork Orange and The Shining. That's really good music. Shining, great movie. I love The Shining. That was a good movie. I kind of want to watch that. Uh, Harry Anderson is famous actor, screenwriter, magician, and director. Born in Newport and appearing on several episodes of Saturday Night Live. Anderson is most famous for his role in the television series Night Court. Nice. It's cool uh, that there are famous, famous people from all different cities and uh, states. And people don't even realize it. Then. So. Mm. That's about it. What's I'm say? So quiet. I've been talking just as much as you have. You've been telling more stories than me. I've been trying to make as many comments as I can about things I kind of have knowledge on. So, who's your favorite um, horror writer? Stephen King. Stephen King. What's your Stephen King book? The Shining. The Shining. I've <laughs> read his sequel. Doctor Sleep. I have not. I have not. I have not been reading that many. I've been reading the House of Night nice series, which is young adult, but it's still a good book. Guilty pleasures. Oh, 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 have you seen the movie? Shining? Yeah. Yep. Love it. Would rewatch it over and over if I could. I have it. That and I love uh, Freddie and Jason. Those are my other two favorite horrors. Do you. How's the book different from the movie? A oh, lot. How so? I've, <laughs> I haven't read the book. I haven't read the book in ages, but there's a lot of things that they took out from the book. From the mo- um and didn't put in the movie, like there weren't key elements, but it changed the story a little bit. But I can't remember the full details. It's been forever since I read that book. Was the how, how do you think um Jack Nicholson did as playing his character in Shining? Very good. I like Jack Nicholson. Was it very much like the character in the book? I believe so, from what I remember. I haven't read the book in 10 years. So, is uh, was he dead? Was he like part of the. I don't remember. I'm kind of confused of like the whole point. Whole point like, was he like, part of the hotel the whole time, or was he like. I don't remember. We will talk about this when we're not on live stream or podcasting. Why not? Let's talk about now. Oh, I don't remember it. And I just have to look it up. And I don't feel like looking it up. Fine. Need a, need a producer. Like, look it up for us. Like, okay. This is why we take notes. Notes. I think it's. I think we're good. How do you guys got, got something to plug or anything? You got any events? Got any coming any cons lately? No. And I've what? Re- no. It's- no. no. Where can people find uh, where can people find you? Nowhere, because I'm not wanting oh. to be found. <laughs> nowhere. Okay. Got, got any books coming out or any movies? Something? Yes, thank you. I love you, but no. I love you too. <laughs> we're well. just working on our podcast. That's our plug. <laughs> yeah, so we're done. So, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great time. A uh, great day. Great day. And if you do me a favor. And if you like um, 
have you seen it? I don't if you please can't leave a voice message on Anchor app. Tell them about any other cryptids in Rhode Island. I'll put it in this episode. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Uh, bye. Oh, I stopped this. Oh, no. Stop recording. There we go up here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on which you can describe subscribe to you also can email me all the questions that will be answered on the show thank you if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.